Well, it's a privilege to be here and uh, share with you this morning. We hope that Adam and Sheree have a good weekend, get the rest they need and they deserve. Um, one thing I want to reinforce that Steve said was this about family. Um, I've been to so many and been with so many different bodies of believers and I don't know that I've ever felt a part of this like a family. Like, and you know it. I mean, there's just something that says you belong. And you feel it when you talk to people, you feel it when, you know, you're, you're in the gatherings together where it's, whether it's prayer or whether it's um, our life groups or, you know, these Sunday morning times or even afterwards when we fellowship together. It's just wonderful and I, I appreciate it so much to be a part of this group of, of, of believers. So it was kind of, kind of funny because Eric asked me what I'm going to preach on and I never know for sure because... I can sure change things in a heartbeat, you know. <laughs> you, you think you have it all figured out, and then the Holy Spirit says, ah, you know, go this way. So, um, but I, I do have two th things that I'm pretty passionate about in uh, my walk with the Lord, and um, one of them is uh, the church, us, and uh, the other is worship. But I really want to talk about um, the church this morning because I, I see it happening here. I see what God intended the church to do and to be. And I'll get into that in just a little bit, but let me ask you a question first. How many uh, got a full load of joy this morning? Are you filled with joy? <laughs> um, joy is important. We should be the example of what joy means in the world. We are the light, you know. We are what people need to see, and we have a reason to be joyful. And Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you take that literally, the kingdom of God is one-third joy. That's a lot of joy. And I think that sometimes we think of heaven and we think of angels and clouds and all that stuff. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we are going to see and experience praise and worship and excitement and dance and um, like we've never experienced it before. I've been a part of a couple revival revivals that we've had in my lifetime and it's exciting <laughs> you know people probably thought oh you will run to anything yeah I'm hungry <laughs> if God's moving I want to be a part of it I want to get some impartation I, it excites me and I am happy to go no matter we went to Pensacola we got involved with the Toronto group um, went to Detroit when Kim Clement was there and every time I was so blessed and so filled up. So um, that's the reason. But anyhow, before I get going, let's get a little joy from Mercy Me.
and you have to let it go. It's just got to go somewhere. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together as a family, as a community, as a church. And we pray your blessing on this time together. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come. We give complete authority and control to you and ask that we would be lifted up and changed in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let me start. How, how many are familiar with the, the word ecclesia? 
Mm, got a lot of ecclesia people here. So you know that it's a Greek word. And oftentimes, most times, I should say in the New Testament, when we see or we read the word church, it's translated from that word, ecclesia. Um, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament words, it means it means to the whole company of the redeemed throughout the present era or age. So everyone that's been saved, all of us that have accepted Jesus um, since the cross, we um, are a part of what Jesus calls the church, the ecclesia. Um, it also goes on in that definition to say that this company or group of people is that of which Christ said in Matthew 16, 18 to 19, I will build my church, the ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell, everything that Satan has to muster up against us does not have the authority to prevail against us. It also goes on to say that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then it goes on to talk about powering, the power to bind and to loosen. Folks, we have authority. Yes. Amen. We have power. Yes. We just have to believe that we have it and begin to express it in a way that is practical in the day we live, in a way that will allow the Holy Spirit to move as he wants to move. I don't think that that God, I don't think that we're waiting on God. I think that God's waiting on us. Yeah. He says, I've given you all things to pertain, that pertain unto life and godliness. Yeah. He's already done it. He's already given it to us. Now we have to be willing to step out and express it and allow that power, that anointing of the Holy Spirit to take charge, take control. Sometimes that means that we have to let loose. I heard a statement just recently that says, the deeper you go in with God, the less you can take with you. The less of self, <laughs> the less of our baggage, the less of those things that um, Hebrews talks about the weight, you know, we, we carry around all those things. We got we to gotta cast those off. We got to let those things go. The failures of our past, the things that have have kept us or made us think um, less of ourselves, those are things of the past. They're already taken care of. Um, there's a guy, well, at least I think it's called, it's a, the name of the band and it's called Big Daddy Weaver. You know, okay, he, he, saw, he sang a song and I l had to go back and listen to it a couple times, just this one lyric and it says, uh, why, are you, why do you keep fighting a fight I've already won? You know, Christ has already done it. He's already Amen. gone and conquered death, hell, and the ga grave. Amen. And we can go now in that authority in his name. And the scriptures teach us that things have to happen. And when we continue to press in and push through, we will begin to see those more and more. I know, I know that God has specific times. I know that. And um, sometimes I feel like, you know... I, things are holding back but oftentimes I wonder if it's just not the enemy trying to put up blocks put up things that are causing us that we need to push through we need to knock over we need to go beyond 
to see the miraculous take place. Right. I've grown up since I, I got saved when I was about eight years old. I was in a, a Bible camp, and it was more like a glorified barn. <laughs> it's <laughs> the old cement floors and wood, real hard wood uh, pews and an old, old stage um, with an old wood altar. Um, when I got saved, I, I'll never forget it because the man that was speaking, I couldn't tell you one thing that he was saying, but the Holy Spirit came about halfway through, and I, tears began to swell up. And all I kept thinking that whole service was, why doesn't he shut up <laughs> so, that, so that I can go up and do some business with God? I mean, that's how strong his presence was. And that same presence is available for all of us to carry and to take. The world is as hungry as I was at eight years old. And I've seen so much since then and been a part of so much more what I would call religion than I can actually call ecclesia um, that I know the difference. And religion doesn't cut it. Religion doesn't satisfy me one bit. And as awesome as some of the revival times that we've been a part of have been, we've also had those same experiences right in our living room. I'm sure you've probably experienced somewhere, somehow along the line, but I had um, ruptured my uh, quadricep tendon. I had fell on, I was going out a house we were building and slipped on the ice and when I flipped over my knee caught the edge of that step and just severed it. And so I couldn't move and my son who was helping me put me on a piece of plywood and <laughs> pulled me into the car. We went to the hospital and sure enough I needed surgery that night and they took and they cut it open and they pulled it back down and tied it to my kneecap. And um, I was up, laid up for about six weeks in, in a recliner, which was, was very comfortable for me to rehab in, but uh, my knee got pretty stiff, I'll tell you that. Um, but Cindy came home, and I think she was at a women's meeting, maybe a woman's aglow or something, and she uh, sat on the couch, and we just started to pray. And folks, the atmosphere changed. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you why specifically at that moment or that time, but the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit came in and filled that room. And we felt the tangible difference. We began to pray like we probably had never prayed before. We began to have encouragement. We began to have um, feel the power and the anointing. And it got so intense that we had our kids come out. And there was two of them. They were teenagers at the time. And we began to prophesy over them and lay hands. You could just see the presence of God fall on them. So... What we're talking about here is not just for big meeting. It's not just for, you know, for church things, that, buildings we call church. We are the church. We are. One of the things that has encouraged me and I appreciate so much about Adam and Cherie's uh, ministry is that ever since we've been here, they've been talking about everyone finding their place, everyone finding that anointing that is on them. Because I don't see one person in this room that doesn't have something special from Christ. And that is just, again, being released. I think it's in Zechariah where it says, don't, don't despise small beginnings. You know, 
I don't know, there's maybe 20 of us, close to 20 of us here today. That doesn't matter. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is also. There's where the power is released and anointed, and the anointing comes, and things change. You know, on top of what this scripture that I just read out of um, Matthew, where Jesus calls us the church he's building, um, on top of that, we know that it is also the church that he's coming back for. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. It says that he, Christ, might sanctify her, the ecclesia, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word Jesus, John 1, 1, that he might present the church to himself glorious in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and faultless. That's what he's coming back for. He's not coming back for a building. He's not coming back for, for chairs and for pews and for stained glass windows. And they're all beautiful. Awesome places to, you know, I was over in France a, a long time ago. But anyhow, some of the, the they're, oh, they were unbelievable, gorgeous. But you know what? When I went in and saw it all, though the beauty caught my attention, I didn't feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that was maybe me. I'm sure at times God visits them in special ways. And those that gather there, probably many of them are born again and spirit-filled. But um, I realize that it's just brick and mortar. You know, that's, that's no longer where he dwells. He dwells <laughs> in individuals like you and I. And that's what he's coming back for. He's coming back. But the part I want us to grab this morning is that when he comes back, we will be glorious. He's not coming back for a church that's haphazard, just kind of laying in their hammocks, you know, those kind of things. He's coming back for a body that's filled with his anointing and his power. The same works that he did, we will do and greater because he's gone to the Father for us. So be encouraged that we are, we are on our path, we are on our way to the glorious state he's called us to be. And I see, as a, I, I like to just, I just like to watch a lot of times and see what God's doing and I like to observe people and I like to, to just be in that element of, okay, what's he doing here? What's he doing there? And I've seen so many unique things that he's doing in this small body. Um, how old is McKinsey? McKinley? McKinley's nine years old. She came up to me on a prayer night. And I was sitting, I was standing back there, and she says, God gave me a word for you. I said, well, could you share that word with me and pray over me and she did and it, it had to do with finance she said I, I don't know god just said something's going to happen you're going to get a fi financial blessing or something i don't know what she exactly say how she said it that night when i got home there was a letter that said the place i used to work for would be three thousand dollars <laughs> do you think that's a coincidence <laughs> Or do you think she heard 
and was a part of the glorious church. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter our age. Yeah. It, it doesn't. I mean, we, we see, and, I, and I, I see the evangelistic team and hear the, the testimonies of God moves when they, they walk across the Hudson Bridge or when they're in Walmart and all these things. That's God. That's the glorious church. Yeah. It's happening. It's happening. I see it when we're, we're together just um, afterwards doing hospitality as, as they share it with us and how God's presence is in, in that is almost as, most, as powerfully as it can be in the anointing of the, the, the sermon, the word. I saw it in the picnic last week. What, I mean, I, it was so awesome to, to see this body in that atmosphere. I almost thought, well, maybe Jesus is going to walk up here and teach us here for a while. I mean, that's what it felt like. It's like with this body of Christ flowing together, being in one accord, you know, that's when God starts to move. He, he sees the hearts of his people. And um, Psalms 133 says how, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity it goes on at the end it's a very short little chapter and at the end it says something like um, there he commands his blessing so the more we become in one accord it doesn't mean we are mimicking each other this one accordness is what what um, Adam has been kind of teaching on everybody knowing their place everybody knowing their gift their calling and just starting to fit together. That's where the unity comes, is where one starts, the other stops. And the, you know, it just starts to flow. Like, and we don't, have to, we don't have to even desire or want to be somebody we're not. I heard something. I heard a teaching, and I, I, it may have been from Dutch Sheets, but I, I'm not sure. But it it had to do with that whole deal with Uza um, dying because he touched the Ark of the Covenant when they were moving it when they weren't supposed to be moving it. It matters who carries the Ark of the Covenant. It matters who carries the sep- the anointings that are that God has given out. You know, if I try to carry someone else's anointing, I'm surely going to stumble. <laughs> It's it's not going to be in, in in the the right portion that God intended it to be, you know. That whole thing is is just a, such a um, almost a a tough story to to read through. But the po- the the most important part was that God, I believe, is in the Book of Numbers. He said, you know, only the Levites are going to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. That's my plan. You know. And when David got so zealous, he wanted to get that ark back. Uh, Ob- Obadiah? Ob- Obadiah? What's his name? It was at the house of Obadiah, someone like that. So this Ark of the Covenant was at this guy's house, and his house is getting so blessed. And David began to see this, and the people of Israel began to see this. They said, we need to get this ark back to Jerusalem, to the city of David. And when they went, the Levites were, I guess, not available. Is that true, Steve? I don't know. <laughs> but anyhow, um, with, with them not being available, he decided, okay, we'll, we'll get some oxen and we'll, we'll take these people and we'll put them around the Ark of the Covenant and we'll, we'll take it. Well, those oxen stumbled. 
<laughs> and when they stumbled, Uzzah put his hand out. When his hand hit the ark, he immediately died. But the whole thing was because back then in the law, there was life and there was death. And there was judgment. And because of David's mistake, Uzzah's life was taken. Um, and we know we're totally under grace now. Another thing, I'm so blessed that this body believes in it and walks out. So many places I've gone, they, they, they go into law, and then they go into a little bit of grace, and then they mix the two, and you don't know what's what. You know, One day you're feeling really good going out of, out of the service because I'm, I'm filled with grace. I know where I stand. And the next time you go out and think, oh, man, am I condemned. <laughs> but we know it's not meant to be that way. Grace. Everlasting life, I looked it up, is everlasting. It's a gift, and the Bible says God's gifts and his callings are irrevocable. So I'm walking out in faith this gift of grace, and I'm so blessed that this body, this family, is doing the same. So where am I, and how can I get back to where I should be? Mm. So anyhow, I wanted to mention, have a great party, guys, and uh, <laughs> bless your friend. Um, so this scripture, specifically this Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, um, about us becoming the glorious church that he's returning for, is one of the reasons that I personally am looking at the church today more as the true indicator of where we are in the end times. I know the Bible talks about wars, rumors of wars, um, earthly events, shakings, and all this stuff. But you know what? I don't think that motivates Christ one bit when it comes to what he wants to come back for. He's coming back for us. He's coming back for this glorious church that right now he's in the process of building and releasing into all the power and the authority that he has made possible for us. And when that occurs, when we begin to see more and more of that, I don't know if some of you are listening to some of the prophetic teachers these days, but they're saying we're right on the, <laughs> they're believing we're right on the cusp of seeing revival like we've never seen it before. And when you read and you study, look back on revivals and you um, see some of the, the great things that happened, it's going to be greater. Yes. <laughs> the latter house is going to be full of glory. That'll be greater than the former house. Amen. And when, that, when we begin to see that, and that's why I can, I'm, I'm so intent on listening, what, is, is there revival anywhere? Is, how's God moving? What's God doing? And it's kind of nice with the Internet a little bit because you can see and hear when things when God's moving, when he's doing something. And it, again, that just, something inside of me explodes. Some, something inside of me gets so excited I can hardly contain it. And, you know, that's part of what and how God intended us to be motivated. To hear what God did at Walmart, to hear what God's doing somewhere in Colorado right now, I think more, more Morello, Morello? Something like Mario Morello. There's revival stuff happening, and people are getting healed, and people are getting set free nightly. I mean, it's moving. It's happening. I mean, anytime I 
watched and tapped into Tom Bentley. And when God was using that whole ministry, that was down somewhere in Florida, um, I just couldn't get enough. When I went to Pensacola and when I, I, they they shared a testimony in Pensacola that in their public schools, God started moving so much like he was in the revival meetings, they had to actually find and put apart a whole room for kids that got touched in the school day to have a place to go and pray and to be able to experience more of the presence of God. I mean, where, where have you heard of that in public schools? I mean, things like that are going to become more and more apparent the, the thicker this glory becomes. We're going to be seeing that on a regular basis. You know, these bars that you went into, they're open. <laughs> they're open for God to move. Um, read an article about a guy... Um, and he went into a small town. He was called. He felt God calling him into the small town. So he didn't know what to do, where to go, how to start. So he went to the local bar. And um, he went, to the, went up to the bar and, and ordered a Coke. And he drank the Coke, and just kind of observing, kind of looking at watching people. And he did this for a couple weeks. And finally... The bartender says, well, what in the world? You know, you come in here, you order a Coke, and you sit here, what, what's your deal? And he said, well, he said, I'm a new pastor. I came into town, and I'm trying to understand this town and see the people and where they're at and what's going on. He said, you know what? He says, I got a booth over there. He said, would, would you take that booth so I can send people over to you? He said, there's so many people come up here, they want my advice. I don't know what to tell them. He says, but he says, I bet you do. You know, that for the next couple of months, he sat at that booth and he began to talk and counsel and get people saved. And keep, it, I mean, those are the kind of things that God is releasing and going to continue to release more and more as we see this day approaching that he's going to return. Amen. So it's, it's not just about... Groups of thousands and thousands of people, I believe that we'll, we will see that. We'll see football stadiums filled. We'll see places, buildings that, you know, they can't contain any more of the glory. They, this will be so filled, so packed. But we're also going to see people in bars set up, seeing people healed, seeing people changed. It's just when we, when we again, when we take on what God's given us, we become the glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Only Jesus could do that in us. Only Jesus can release that in us. But you know, there's a whole world out there, the people we work with, live with, some of our families, they need it. Sometimes they don't realize they need it as much as they really need it, <laughs> but they do. I'm going to close with this, and this is kind of the introduction to a message I really have on the fivefold ministry and prayed about it when we were meeting earlier and that's where I believe and how God is going to release the ecclesia I think he's going you're going to see this fivefold ministry become so evident you're going to see and be able to understand what the anointings are on the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. For so long, those titles have been tabooed. 
They've been like, you think you're a what? Or you think you're a prophet? You think you're a prophet? And you know, there, there's been misuses of it. We know that. But that's only because Satan has taken what God has intended and corrupted it. But God's bringing back the real thing. The real thing is getting coming back on the scene. And we're going to see the five-hole minute. I've been looking for it for now since the late 80s, early 90s. I, I saw it when I finally read it, when I finally was taught it. I said, God, that's the way it's got to be. That's, your word says that, that, can I just read it to you? <laughs> Ephesians. You can put it up if you, you got time. Ephesians chapter 4, I believe. Yep. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Did you get it? No? Okay. I'm reading out of the Amplified, but whatever. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. All right. And his gifts were, and the Amplified says varied, he himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, special messengers, some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders, some evangelists, some preachers, of, or some evangelists, preachers of the gospel, traveling missionaries, some pastors, shepherds of his flock, and teachers. His intention was perfecting, was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of the ministry towards building up Christ's body, the church. So you see, there's already a plan in place for the glorious church. And that plan is seeing the fivefold ministry restored to the place that we're not. I love it when Adam says, it's I'm not embarrassed about it. <laughs> that, that's, that's normal. You know, that's normal Christianity. That's not something that we have to look at as something to be ashamed of. We need to be looking for that to happen more and more. I've, I've studied ministries. I've, I've looked at ministries and I said, can I see the fivefold ministry happening in that ministry? And as hard as I've looked, I've seen... A twinkling of it, but I have not seen the fullness of it. I've not seen the apostle get up and be and become an establisher of of a work, and then see him turn it over to the to the prophetic people who have words for the individuals, and then say, "Okay, evangelists, come and preach at us. Come on and get us stirred up." And then the pastor comes, shepherd us, come come guide us, come bless us, and then you know, and then teach us. The teacher teach us. We, when, when this fivefold ministry takes place, the, there's such an anointing on these offices that it's not like anything we've kind of saw before. I mean, growing up, when I heard about a teacher in church, I thought about a Sunday school teacher. I mean, that's all we were taught that there was. But I'm telling you, they're anointed, and you can't get enough when they start teaching you. It's like, don't stop. <laughs> Feed me. I need this. An evangelist gets you so stirred up with, you know, getting excited and, and, and stirred up inside. And the prophetic, I mean, God said he doesn't do anything 
unless he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. Do we not need prophets in the day we live? And the apostles, to me, they're like, they're like groundbreakers. They go in and, and they, they, they have an anointing to break through where the rest of the ministries, God hasn't appointed them to do that. It's that, like that Uzzah thing, you know? You can't, you can't take an evangelist and think that he can go and do the work of an apostle. He's not anointed to do that. That's why we need each of us finding our place, finding our gifts, finding our callings, seeing it established under Adam and Cherie. When you begin to, I trust them so much. I know they hear from God. I don't have, if they, if they tell me something, I know they've prayed about it. I know that they've heard. This is not just their thoughts or their thinking. And that's a blessing in itself. So if, if I feel like, like God's asking me or wanting me to do or be something, I'd like to shuffle it through them. Yeah. I said, this is what I think God, I'm hearing. Can you confirm this? Can you, can you establish this? And I trust them to know that they'll pray about it and they'll let me know. So anyhow, I went there. I shouldn't have probably because <laughs> it took more time. But that's, that's, where, that's where my heart is. It's the ecclesia. It's us. It's us as a body. I have one more video. I'd, I don't know. Can we play that one? or Okay. Let's play that and then I'm, we'll pray here. Moses stood on a mountain Waiting for you to pass by You put your hand over his face So in your presence he wouldn't die And all of Israel saw the glory And it shines out called us to boldly see your face. Show me your face, Lord. Show I will make 
David knew there was something more than the ark of your presence in a manger Messiah was born among kings and peasants And all of Israel saw the glory, and it shines down through the age. Now you've called me to boldly see your face, wash us your face. Show me your face, Lord. Show me your face. And then gird up my legs that I might stand in this can just
I don't want to break the mood here because the anointing is here really strong right now. And I want to leave time for ministry if that's what the Lord wants to do here. just wanted to share something real quick. When George was talking about when revival comes, and it might look different than what we're expecting in traditional church and religion and things that we've known in the past. And he was talking about in Pensacola, in the in the schools where these kids had to have a place to to express themselves, and um, I just wanted to share that isn't just some far off place. Oh, yeah, that's good for them and not for us. But when we were part of revival last time, my eight-year-old son was touched so much by the Holy Spirit that he went into his grade school in Arborvita, Wisconsin. And he was leading people to the Lord at lunchtime. And they were on the f kneeling on the floor receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so it doesn't matter, you know, age is, doesn't matter. I, I love what you were talking about, your daughter. There's no time or space in the Spirit. There's no age. Um, so be expectant that God is going to use your children. Um, and also, when you were singing about new wine, and um, I just want to go there real quick. Oh, my glasses. <laughs> Can we just lift our hands to the Lord? Lord, tonight we surrender to you. One second here, I just got to find it. Wonderful wind of the Holy Spirit. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 17, talks about no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine in old wineskins, or else the wineskin break, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. You know, this is talking about the whole um, when Jesus had to leave, and they sent the Holy Spirit. But I believe it, it's about today, too, where this new move of God is going to look different than the old ways. Um, and he's pouring out his new wine and um, into new wineskins and just to be um, prepared that it might look different than what we think it will look like. Like George was saying, you know, in the Walmarts and in the restaurants, in the schools. Um, so I just feel like that's something that 